You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. many of you were here for that night or leading up to that night? So some of you, about a third of you, uh, got to be involved with that. That brings up some memories uh, of the time that the unexpected vehicle crashed into it. I think that was, what, December 10th-ish of 2018. I think they just finished with a play practice. Everybody kind of left, and then they kind of got called back uh, because something unexpected had happened. And during that process, I'm sure there was a lot of things that had to take place in the aftermath of that uh, destruction or the destroying of the offices. I think Monica was the administrative assistant at that time, and so she got to deal with it on a very personal uh, level and uh, probably got to deal with it more than anybody else as uh, she was involved with uh, not only that, but the the buildup afterwards and the re-putting together, trying to find everything and restore things and rebuild things and organize things. I'm sure there was a lot of papers that were just everywhere that you had to try to collectively bring back together. Uh, And there were probably a a few aspects to that as you went through that. There was probably an an aspect of investigating, right? Going in and seeing what had happened, where everything was at, uh, looking for the things that were necessary to put things back together. And then there came a phase of cooperation where everybody came together, everybody worked together and worked on repairing and rebuilding and restoring and and probably also it was in in some ways it turned into a blessing uh, for the church because they got to remodel some things and update some things along the way as well. It wasn't a fun process to go through but after the investigation and the cooperation they got to uh, have some determined rebuilding of that office into what they wanted it to be. Uh, In our lives, there are different things that happen where it's unexpected, and sometimes we walk into a place where it looks like things have been destroyed. There's destruction everywhere, and there's a process that we have to go through to rebuild things. Uh, In the book of Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah dealing with all of those things. In the first chapter, we learn that he heard about the destruction of Israel. He heard about the walls being destroyed, and it broke his heart. He began to weep, and he began to pray for months and months and months and months. He goes to God, and he prays, and he asks for God's cooperation in the process of rebuilding the walls. And we saw his determination uh, begin last week as we talked about how not only did he want to just send help, he wanted to be a part of that help. And he asked God to send him and he was willing to go and give of his time, to give of his efforts, to give of his energy, and, and really be willing to put himself in a place that he hadn't been before. Leading up to that point, he had been a cupbearer for the king. Uh, He'd served alongside uh, Artaxerxes, and he was the king of Persia. Last week, I kept saying Babylon, so if you caught that, good job. If not, I apologize. It was actually the king of Persia, and so his reign over that. And he sends Nehemiah to go and restore and rebuild and repair the walls that he broke emotionally over. Uh, The king realized that and wanted to do the favor to Nehemiah. But up until that point, he was a cupbearer in a foreign land. And 
we see this shift, and there's different aspects that we get to journey with Nehemiah as he goes through this book. So we begin with him in that role of the cupbearer, and then we see him turn into this builder. Uh, you know, he oversees the construction, something that he probably had not really done up until that point. He was willing to put himself in a new role and open himself up to new possibilities about what God wanted to do in him and what God was going to do through him. So as we look in this second chapter, and we're going to be in the second half of Nehemiah chapter 2 today, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 verses 11 through 19 or 20, if you will, uh, as we go through this passage and this message today. And the things that I want us to look for is really this process that Nehemiah goes once he gets on site. And remember that this has been a long, long journey. Not only the months of prayer, not only the requests and the heartache before the king, but as he travels, I think it's around a thousand kilometers that he ends up having to travel. And so this travel, and he's the only one I think that this says, well, we'll get to that here. Uh, but it takes them a long time. So let's go ahead and jump into a verse 11 and 12. It says this, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anybody what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. And so we see this aspect that he is the only one on a horse. This is not a fast process. It's not the Pony Express to get there. They are just slowly making their way to Jerusalem. And when he gets there after this thousand mile journey, as most of us probably would be, he was tired. He was worn out. And again, he goes to God in prayer and he spends three days before he actually starts in the first part of this process of this rebuilding and in this he spends time in investigation nehemiah uses his gift of investigation to really check out what is going on and we see that in his life that as he is investigating all of these walls we notice a few things that are needed and you know he really kind of set out this time, not as a waste of time, but his willingness to, to look and to spend time looking at the problem. He wanted to make sure that not only he heard what was going on, he wanted to see firsthand all the things that were going to need repaired. He wanted to go by and kind of make sure that he was going to check every box and really know the entirety of the damage and the entirety of the destruction. Even though he had the supplies, he wanted to begin to plan what the results were going to be, what the restoration was going to look like, and really begin to assess what was going to be needed to carry out this project. And we see this process of investigation through verses 13 through 16. They read as follows. By night, I went out through the valley gate, through the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. 
Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials of anybody else who would be doing the work. It's interesting that Nehemiah has all these plans. He probably has this burden on his heart to get started, but he takes time to rest and restore before going and doing this investigative work. And these three things that we see in the process of his investigation, the things that he takes on, this approach that he has as we look through this. In this process, we see uh, maybe some surprising things. We see that he does this in silence. He was taking notes on the walls. He was looking at the situation. He was listening to God. And he was coming up with this strategic plan. So he's taking the time to look and to pray and in silence, not allowing other people to really know what else is going on. And so there's this level of secrecy as well that we see in this, that he goes out at the middle of the night, uh, this co-op operation, because he really wants to know what is going on. He doesn't want other people's input. He doesn't want other people's advice. He wants to go and do this on his own. It must have been a pretty moonlit night for him to be able to see well enough to get through the different places that he wanted to go. But he takes this time to go and inspect every part. And there are some parts that are worse off than others. There are some places that he can't even get through on his horse because things are just damaged to that point. And so we see this level of solitude also that he goes into after he goes and he inspects everything, after he views the wall, after he examines the wall like the surgeon, and he is probing to see every extent of the damage, he takes some more time to get back with God. And he spends some more time in solitude after this inspection process, after going out alone, he spent time connecting with God again probably to prepare his heart, to prepare his mind, to prepare his plan, as he's going to finally reveal, and it's interesting that he hasn't told anybody else what's going to happen, but he takes this time to go through this, and uh, we see this big reveal finally play out, but we know he has the right heart, and he's ready to act as he takes this honest look at what the destruction has done, what damage has been done, and what it's going to take to rebuild what God once rebuilt, what God has put on his heart, what God has supplied the needs for. And so in this next verses, we see in 17 and 18, this change of not only just investigation, but this turn into a desire for cooperation. It turns from just him going and looking to him wanting and asking other people to be part of this process. And he, he rallies the troops to say that this isn't just something that I want to do. This is something that we are all going to do. So as we read here verses 17 and 18, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall. We will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand my God had on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let's start building. And they began this good work. 
Nehemiah could have showed up and he could have had all this effort. He could have had all this manpower, could have had all this support. But he couldn't have gone and done this by himself. He couldn't have gone and just started building one brick at a time. He couldn't have done the rebuilding process on his own. Nehemiah needed cooperation. He did his investigation so that he could present to them the things that they were going to need to do together. And sometimes when we try to do things alone and try to stay in that track and try to stay in that lane of, of doing things on our own, things don't get done the way that God wants us to. God created us to live in cooperation as a corporate entity, as a family, as a body of believers. It's always up to us collectively to do the things that maybe God puts on the heart of somebody individually. We see Nehemiah, though, in this process, he really challenges these people and uses this collective cooperation language. He doesn't say, I, he uses the we aspect of things. He says that we see the trouble, we have this opportunity to uh, no longer be in disgrace. And so he uses this idea of being in cooperation. And you know, whenever we get in a place where things need to be rebuilt, where things need to be changed, it's oftentimes easy for us to point fingers. It's easy to, to try to put it on somebody else. Nehemiah could have blamed the people because he really wasn't part of the destruction of Jerusalem. He could have blamed them for not having the heart or for not having the, the, the wherewithal to start building on their own. He, I mean, they'd been there for years and years. I think it was 56 years that nothing had been rebuilt yet. And Nehemiah shows up and he could have criticized them, he could have condemned them, but he doesn't. He asks for their cooperation and he really challenges them and identifies with them that he understands that they see a need. Maybe they didn't know how to do it on their own. Maybe they didn't know what really was going to be used by God or how God was going to use them. But they all knew they had to pass through that gate. They had to walk by it every day. And maybe after so long, they just thought that nothing else was going to be. And they just kind of knew that they were just going to have to go on with life as usual and, and face the, the problems that came with not having a city wall. Maybe they just gotten used to that place. So when Nehemiah comes and identifies the problem and helps them to re-see the need, uh, uh, and really challenges them that, hey, we don't have to be in disgrace any longer. At that time, having a wall meant so much. Having a wall to surround your city meant protection. It meant uh, power. It meant support. It meant that you could do a whole lot more. That anybody who tried to invade, it was not going to be something easy. And so he rallied them to that point. He said, we don't have to live in disgrace and destruction because God is in this. And so he touches on something that is core to the nature of Israel, their relationship with God. And they'd seen time and time again where God had saved them. It's part of their ethos. It's part of their identity that God shows up whenever he need, they need him. They'd seen it recently as Ezra comes and rebuilds the temple and the spirit comes on them. And so at this point, they have another opportunity to understand that God still loves them, God still sees them, God still cares about them, and God wants them to rebuild something powerful and magnificent, that there is still a hope and a future for them, that they didn't have to lie in destruction, but that God was on the move and was going to restore them 
to the place that they wished they could be. And again, Nehemiah didn't say, I'm going to build the wall or you have to build the wall. He used this collective motivation that they were going to build the wall. I think whenever we can cooperate towards the things that God wants us to do, we're a lot better off. And God challenges us at different times and challenges people in different ways to join in that cooperation rather than in the destruction or isolation. You know, in the history of the world, things have been changed by people coming into cooperation with each other. If you rewind the history of the world back to 1941, also in December, we have the words that Winston Churchill pleaded for the cooperation of the United States. He says, I have nothing to offer but the blood, toils, tears, and sweat. Victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard that road may be, for without victory there is no survival. We shall not fight or flail. And so he challenged the President of the United States to cooperate with them to fight off the invading Nazis because he knew their time was going to be done pretty soon if he didn't get some cooperation. He said, give us the tools and we'll finish the job. We should never forget the amazing speech that he gave to a very fearful people in Britain when he addressed their house of commons. And by getting some cooperation, it changed the course of history. Nehemiah motivated through his prayers. He motivated with his words. And he also changed the course of history. If you fast forward years and later, this is the city that it, Jesus will walk through. These are the walls that Jesus will walk past. These are the gates that Jesus will walk through. Without Nehemiah coming and laying this first, without motivating and listening to the call of God, other things don't happen. Jesus' ministry is different. His life is different. And therefore, ours would be different as well. So this isn't some small matter that doesn't apply to us. This is something that ultimately impacts all of us because of the cooperation that they showed then and the cooperation of God with us through his son Jesus. Our lives can be changed and our history can be changed as, also, as well. But it takes people to come together and accept the project to put our hands to work and be willing to see that God is in the thing that we are trying to do. They understood that and allowed that to change their lives. Even though we have that investigative part and even if we can get the cooperation, there's always another aspect of the things that happen as we go through life. As we read through every story in scripture, there's always another thing that people have to deal with and that people have to show something else and that is determination. Because things don't always happen as easily as we would like them to. And things don't always happen in a way that we wish they would. Even when it is endorsed and blessed by God, we still see struggles. We still see challenges. Uh, and in Nehemiah 19, Nehemiah gets to deal with some of his own. In verse 19, it says this, When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. 
What are you doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So we have these people, this Sanballat and Tobiah, and something that we should know about them is they aren't some foreign people. They are people that are within the area. They're people that are supposed to be on Nehemiah's side. They're supposed to be on their camp. They're supposed to be part of this cooperative process. And instead of being a part of the cooperation, they cause this, uh, you know, division. Instead of building, they start to break down. They tear down and destroy the work that Nehemiah is trying to do. And so they get in there and they start to criticize the things that Nehemiah is doing, the things that God might have in store with them. And they ask and they slander and they, they ridicule Nehemiah in a way. And so as they laugh and they criticize, Nehemiah has to make a choice on how he is going to deal with this criticism. Because he knows that God has put this on his heart. And he knows that he has the cooperation of the people. And as they listen to this criticism, they also have to make that decision of how they will handle that themselves. And even though they accuse Nehemiah of doing something wrong, Nehemiah says, let's arise and build. Even though they are choosing to tear down and break apart, Nehemiah says, let's rally the troops. God is in this. Let's go forward. And so even though they scorned him and slandered him over and over again, and all of God's works has critics, if we look at the fact that Jesus had critics, we should expect everything that we try to do for God and his glory and through his work, anything that we try to build, we have to know there is going to be somebody who is going to try to destroy, try to scorn, try to slander, try to ridicule, to try to break it down and break it apart. Jesus in his ministry faced that as well. He faced criticism, he faced critics, he faced doubters and disbelievers, but he still knew his purpose, he still knew his mission, he still understood what he had to do. He still had that determination that despite all the pain, despite all the hurt, despite all the things that he would have to suffer through, he was going to be determined to, to go through what he needed to on the cross. And through prayer and through motivation, he was able to do that. And because of that, our sins are taken care of. Because of that, we have faith. Because of that, we have life. Because of that, we have an opportunity to build what God wants to build through his body of believers. And so just like Jesus, who was dealing with criticism and scorn... Nehemiah has the opportunity to, how do I respond to this slander? How do I respond to this criticism? And in verse 20, it says this, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or claim or historic right to it. So in essence, Nehemiah hears their scorn, but he doesn't allow it to impact him. He doesn't listen to it. He doesn't need to internalize it. He, he uh, understands it for what it is, but he knows that his purpose in God's place is more important than anything anybody would try to do to him. So even though they are ridiculing him, he says, I know that God has called me to this. I am going to press forward. I am going to still get the cooperation of the people that we need. And we are still going to fulfill and build this project. I've been praying, I've been planning, and now it's time to build what God wants to build. And the people who aren't willing to be a part of that, 
you know, uh, sorry, but you're out of luck. There's no share in Jerusalem or any claim to that historical right. And again, that ties in with Jesus and the Messiah. They could have come on board, but they criticize and are left out in the cold. So when facing the choice of pleasing man or pleasing God, Nehemiah knew exactly what he wanted to do. He said, let them mock me, but he was going to serve the Lord. Nehemiah knew the hearts that refused to be convinced will never be convinced. Nehemiah didn't put the work on hold while he gathered them around and listened to their crisis and responded to them and decided the best way to answer them. He wasn't going to allow his project to be sidetracked. He had work to do and was going to do it. He understood that if you have enemies to get in your way and you stop and pay attention to them, then the enemies have won. There are greater reasons to keep going. The God of heaven had given himself this promise and he wanted to prosper in that. And so as he proclaims in the confidence of God, people are affirmed and reassured that even though there was distractions, they were still going to build. And even though there was scorn, they were still going to build what God had put in front of them. And Nehemiah motivated them in a way that God was working in them and through them. Hudson Taylor once said this, and Nehemiah would probably echo it, when you attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. When you attempt great things for God, we can expect great things from God. This idea of rebuilding the wall was a great expectation. Nobody thought it could be done. Decades had passed and nothing had been done But Nehemiah had this expectation that God was going to do what God wanted to do. And he got to see and experience God do some incredible things. And even though there was ridicule, he didn't let that discourage him from rebuilding. And so he used this as an encouragement to the nation of Israel. He gave them their pride back. He gave them this promise back. He gave them back their hope and their future And they were grateful to him for helping rally them to that point. That he was willing to pray, that he was willing to plan, that he was willing to invest and build into the future. I know that we come to a place sometimes for some of us that it doesn't feel like it is what it used to be. Emotionally, relationally, spiritually. It's not where God had it before. And maybe we're at a church sometimes that there have been critics, where there's been criticism, where there's been damage done, where some things maybe you look around and it seems like it's been destroyed. But as I look around, I know that there are people who are here that want to help build the walls, literally and maybe figuratively. And there have been people in this room who have done just that. We have people in this room who have built this church. And I know that God has put it on your hearts to continue to build this church. I've been here a year and a half. I know some of you have been here since 1980 building this church. And I just want to offer this encouragement, knowing that God isn't done doing what he wants to do in here and through here. God has put people in this place to build what he wants to be. And so this is a time for us to to be determined to continue to move forward, that God desires great things that God has great expectations for us. And if we come together 
We look around and see maybe what some of the problems might be, some of the places that maybe have fallen down. How can we cooperate and come together and build back what God wants this to be? Because even though some of the glory of the past might have faded a little bit, it doesn't mean that the future can't be just as bright. And I want to encourage everybody that you have a role to play. You have something to do. Nehemiah performed all of this without any miracles, without any wonders, without any prophesying. He just did the work. And he prepared a city for the coming of the Messiah. Our challenge is to spend time in prayer. Spend time in planning. Spend time in cooperating and building what God wants us to build. And I'm glad that every one of you is here to be a part of that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that you have done in our lives. I thank you for all that you have done in all of our lives. Lord, as we continue to build towards what you want us to be, Lord, I ask that you would allow us to be motivated by you, to be changed by you, to be challenged by you. Lord, I ask that we would just have a spirit of cooperation, that we would be moving forward in the way that you want us to, that we would rally around each other, that we would put our faith in you, that we would remove the distractions, that we would remove maybe the score and the shame, that we would just come together and praise you through it all, knowing that you are the provider of all things. Lord, I thank you for the people who we have here who are willing to do the work to build the church that you want us to build. In Jesus' name, amen.